coming again. And I think all of us, I know, I believe most of you in here, all of us who love the Lord in spirit and in truth, we look forward to his return. We can't wait for him to come back. And notice I said, those of us who love him in spirit and truth, people who love the Jesus of the Bible. There's some people that don't like the Jesus of the Bible. They pick and choose what they want to believe that Jesus said, and, or they want to make Jesus in their image. But the Jesus of the Bible, that's what Jesus meant when he said, who worship him, God is looking for those who worship him in spirit, those that are born again, those that are filled with the spirit, and don't let the political world mess up that phrase of what Jesus was saying, born again. Born again political movements aren't necessarily what Jesus meant about being born again. That's what happens when you repent of your sins and you ask Jesus Christ to come into your life and he makes you a brand new person. That has nothing to do with politics. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that this morning? And truth, that has to do with the Word of God. So those of us who love him in spirit and truth, we look forward, we long for the return of the Lord. Jesus wants us, and that's why we spent a whole series of messages on the end times. He wants us to have a, a healthy and a hopeful biblical view of his return. The return of Jesus doesn't frighten me, it excites me. The return of Jesus thrills me when I think about him coming again for us. But it also is healthy because it reminds me, every one of us, it's, it's why weekly as a pastor, I'm not a revivalist, I'm not a professor in a Bible college or a seminary, I'm not a politician, I'm a pastor, and this is what pastors do. We want to equip you and prepare you for the returning of the Lord because then every one of us in this room, we will give an accounting of how we've used the life that God has given us. The time, the talent, the treasure, the ministry. Every one of us were created to serve. Every one of us were created to have a ministry. Every one of us have a purpose in life. I, I can't fulfill your purpose. You can't fulfill mine. But as a church, we have a purpose to fill. And as great as some of the other churches in our community are, they can't fulfill our purpose and we can't fulfill their purpose. So it's incumbent upon us to live with a healthy and a hopeful. Healthy being we know when Christ comes we're going to give an accounting. I was never worried about a test that I was going to take in college if I was prepared for the test. Now I might have some doubts about my ability to recall. I might have some doubt about my abilities to perform. But I was never worried if I was prepared. Can you say amen to that? Have any of you not been prepared and you've gone to take an exam and you've gone in and before you know it, you've got that horse saddle on the back, you're sweating on the back, you're sweating on the front, and you're wishing that instead of staying out late the night before, you had studied. If you've been there with me, let me see your hands. Sure, almost all of us. We've, we've been there. There's going to be hope in that when we see him, we shall be like him. We shall know him even as he knows us. And there's healthiness in that 
we have an opportunity now to be prepared and to have a godly influence on those that are around us. And I'm not talking about being judged if we're going to heaven or hell. Calvary took care of all of that. When I stand before my Lord, I won't plead one merit of my own. It will all be because of what Jesus has done. And I think we should all give him a hand of praise for that this morning. It will all be because of what Jesus has done, his blood and his righteousness. So I, I want to conclude this series on the Holy Spirit and the end times by taking you to two parables this morning that I want us to read together and then one passage from the book of Acts. They're a little bit lengthy. I'm going to ask you, as always, to stand out of respect for the word of the Lord. But if you get tired, you can be seated. But if you would, stand with me this morning while we look at these two parables. They're back-to-back in Matthew 24 and 25. I'm going to make comments on them. So, again, if you get tired or if you're, you're hurting, please feel free to be seated. So you, too, must keep watch. That's you and me. Stay alert. Be aware. For you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this. I want you to see the contrast. You don't know, but understand this. Say that with me. You don't know, but understand this. There are some things we don't know, but there are some things we can know. That's what he means by understand this. So there's a contrast that Jesus is bringing out in this parable. You don't know some things, but you can know this. If the homeowner, that's you and me, every one of us in this room, if the homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. Now that word broken into literally means to take a pick or a shovel, a pick to break through a wall or a shovel to dig under the wall. And you can understand Jesus' analogy and the people there because a lot of them lived in clay houses. They built their houses out of the American West. They're called adobe. We, they were built like that. So he said, if the thief would break into them, he said, you must also be ready all the time. You, me, got to be ready not part of the time, not Sunday, but all the time. For the Son of Man will come when least expected. We'll give an accounting then. A faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. Now that's what I call leadership under lordship. If you have a husband who loves God with all of his heart and seeks to serve and glorify him, it's no problem as a wife to submit to that kind of leadership because that husband isn't out to dominate or press. That husband isn't out because of ego. That husband wants to please God. If you have pastors and politicians and bosses, people who come to work because they want to honor God in their work. They love Jesus with all their heart. They're not seeking to impress you with their spirituality. They want to serve you. They want... It's no problem to follow leadership under lordship. If the master returns and finds that servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. And I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all of he owns. But what if the servant is evil and thinks, my master won't be back for a while? And that's where a lot of even Christians are living. Not with an awareness that Jesus could come at any time. Not with that same awareness that the Apostle Paul had. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. 
And so what happens? He begins beating the other servants and partying and getting drunk. What's he doing? He's violating relationship. Men abusing women. Fathers who abuse their children. There's all kinds of violence in our world and society that we've gotten used to today. The drunkenness is, is, is indulgence. It's where we live for ourselves, not for the glory of God, but we indulge our, our selfish desires. And why is that? Because we have a wrong perspective on the return of the Lord. Well, the master will return unannounced and unexpected, and he will cut that homeowner or that servant to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites and that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I know it's begun to be very popular today to say there's no hell. I know it's begun very popular today to say that you don't have to accept Jesus Christ and everybody's going to heaven. Don't you believe that lie? Yeah. I don't care how holy, I don't care how robed, I don't care what they look like, don't you believe that lie? We're reading the very words of Jesus that he spoke to us. God is not willing that any should perish that all should come to everlasting life. So we need to keep all of this in mind as we read this. And this next parable he begins to tell immediately, it's going to be the parable about the virgins and the, the ten virgins. Five were wise, five were foolish. And the focus is upon the bridegroom and the church. The bridegroom, of course, being Jesus. The church, in this case, being the virgins. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. Now oil is always a symbol of the Holy Spirit. When the bridegroom was delayed and they all became drowsy and fell asleep, they weren't expecting. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. And all the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. And then the five foolish ones asked the others, Please, give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, We don't have enough for all of us. Go to shop and buy some for yourself. Doesn't that sound selfish? Come on, be honest. Doesn't that sound selfish? I can promise you if Jesus has given us a parable to teach us, Jesus has not given us a parable to teach us to be selfish. Can you say amen? So there's more to this than it's sounding selfish. That means we need to look just a little bit deeper. But while they were going to buy oil, the bridegroom came. And then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was locked. And later when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch. For you do not know the day or the hour of my return. One more passage. And on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. And suddenly there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Father, my prayer for Becky and I, our four wonderful children, our three grandsons, God, for our congregation, this wonderful family that we call Woodland. Lord Jesus, I pray, come. Fill our house, Lord. Fill our cups. Fill us to overflowing. 
Fill us afresh and anew with the Holy Spirit of God and make us ready for the return of our Lord Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you. You can be seated and I know you're going to want to follow along in your notes this morning. So warm up those pencils or pens and get them ready to go. Let me say first of all, thank you for those of you that called on Thanksgiving Day to express your love and your kindness. I won't ever, ever get used to that. It's just always so overwhelming to hear from you and to be able to pray with you and to thank you so much. And um, a big thanks to my wife. You would not believe the feast she put on her ta our table. And um, I gained one pound and two ounces from one day to the next. And I enjoyed every single minute of it. And uh, we even had some neighbors that made desserts for us and bought them over. It was just a great day. And then the next day, Becky and I did penance. We went to the gym and we sweated it all off. Just about. Not quite, but all off. But thank you. I um, have a great burden on my heart this morning. I want to deliver my soul to you. Our first service was just pretty incredible this morning. And... Um, I want you to listen carefully because it was by design, I believe by design of the Holy Spirit, we spent a total of one-fourth of our year on the end times and upon the Holy Spirit. And now those two need to be brought together in this message. And every message is important. But today, I'm not a prophet, but I feel that there is a prophetic touch and anointing to this message. And so... I always am aware, I pray for you because I know there are distractions. There are text messages that will pop up on your phone or alerts that you have. So I'm going to ask you if you would, unless you're a medical provider or a doctor or a nurse, and I know some of you have to, shut your cell phones off now if you would please, so that you're not bothered or distracted by a text because I promise you the enemy will do everything he can to distract you in this service this morning. And I'm not talking about just put it on silent. Don't be distracted by any messaging on your phones. But you need to hear, I believe with all my heart, the word of the Lord this morning. We've become so used to hearing tragedy in America that as one news commentator, national news commentator, just said recently, he said, I'm afraid that the consumer of our news is going to become inert and numb to all the tragedies that are happening in our culture today. This is not natural. We have had 307 mass shootings in the United States by the end of October of 2017. We saw just last month Las Vegas, and we don't understand yet why somebody went up into a hotel room and just senselessly began mowing people down at a country music concert. We grieved and prayed for them and then we found ourselves praying for the victims of the First Baptist Church in Sutherland, Texas, a church that Tom's uncle used to pastor. Is that correct, Tom? And that uh, pastored in Sutherland Springs, Texas. A terrorist drives a rented truck in New York City down the bicycle lane, killing eight people and injuring many more. There was an Oakland police officer, it seems, deliberately run over, according to the Oakland police, this week, a respected and beloved member of his community who worked with the schools, and a young 22 or 23-year-old man with a prior list of convictions who just deliberately run him over and killed him and took the life of this father, this husband. 
There was 305 people killed in a Sufi mosque in Egypt this week. And if you know anything about the Sufis, they are not the violent, uh, radicalized Muslims. And, but someone just went in senselessly killing 305 people. There was a recent shooting as I was watching the news and I was looking at the mass shooting statistics of those that were killed in California by somebody that was just angry and went to a school to start shooting, killing adults and wounded children. The news commentator was right when he said life has become cheap. And there's a problem, I believe, in our world because, as Dr. Frank Minnerth used to say, there's a problem when we're afraid to call it what it is. It's not mental illness, although there is a lot of mental illness. Mental illness is just simply a symptom of what the problem is, and that's evil. There is real, genuine evil in our world today that manifests itself in sin. We're nerd when we watch the videos of Planned Parenthood. We're over, an expen over a meal in an expensive restaurant and a glass of wine. We listen to someone Talk about how if they can sell the parts of an aborted baby, they can buy their new Lexus, and there's laughter. And we watch that on the news, and we wonder, why can't anything be done about it? Because there's so much entrenched politically and financially and with lobbyists that somehow or another the government seems to be held powerless to react to something so evil in our midst and to call it what it is. It doesn't matter if you do a lot of good, and Planned Parenthood may do a lot of good in other areas, but if I do a lot of good as a pastor of a church and I'm going out hurting and killing other people or lying or stealing, it diminishes the good that I have done and I need to be removed. And friends, we're afraid to call it evil anymore. It's more than mental illness because if we just try to treat mental illness, we won't ever get to the root of the problem. No one in our world is qualified to play God. No one is qualified to play God with the elderly, with the weak, with the infirm, with the mentally infirm, or with the unborn human beings. And some of you may sit here this morning and say, well, Pastor, we don't agree with that. You know we don't agree with that. Why would you bring this up to us? Because it is impossible for you and I to live in this culture that we live in and not risk running, having our values and our sensibilities and our virtues and our worldview blunted, diminished, scarred, or somehow another compromised if we're not careful to do what Jesus said, to live alert and to be ready, to be aware, not only that Jesus is coming and we must give an accounting that's hopeful and healthy, but also be cautious because there is a thief trying to dig through and undermine the very foundations of which our society is built upon. And so it's important that we as a church stop for a moment on this last Sunday, the Christmas year, Christian year, and talk about it. You can catch a fish out of the ocean that was born in salt water, breathed salt water, drank salt water, and when you catch that fish out of the ocean and fillet that fish, you've got to salt it in order to eat it because even though it lived in the ocean, the salt never got into the fish. And it is possible, it is possible, it is possible for you and I to live in this fallen world without the world living in us. Jesus has called us to be living in this world, but not to be a part of this world. And there's a dramatic difference. It's because we live aware of the thief who's trying to break through. 
In the 1980s, Francis Schaeffer and Dr. Sievert Koop wrote a book that had a profound influence upon my life entitled, Whatever Happened to the Human Race? To read that book now is to go, oh, Dr. Koop, Dr. Schaefer, if you could see what has happened in our world, you would shake your head and wonder because 40 years have made such a drastic difference since Dr. Koop was the Surgeon General of the United States, a passionate follower of Christ, and he and what I believe was the greatest thinker that America produced in the last century, Dr. Francis Schaefer. I hope that you don't feel that I'm being negative in a preachy sense. And I hate to hear the word preach because preach should always be associated with good news. Amen? Jesus came preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. And so I hope you don't see this as preaching in a negative sense, but that you hear the heart of your pastor and trying to equip you and to prepare you in light of the Lord's coming and in light of the fact of the Holy Spirit's presence with you to prepare you not only to be thoughtful people, but to prepare you to be spiritually sensitive people, people aware of the Lord's presence and what God wants us to do. And it has to do with those words where Jesus cautioned us about the burglar who is trying to pick his way through or dig his way through, not only into the culture, but into your home, into your life, into your mind, into your heart, into your values, into your virtues. It's bringing us awareness that each of us are homeowners that Jesus was talking to in this passage of Scripture. And when the Lord returns, that accounting will be, have I maintained the property lines? Have I maintained the home? Have I guarded the boundaries? Have I filled in the gap, as the prophet called us, where God says, I look for someone to stand in the gap, but I could find no one. God is calling us to give an accounting for how we steward. These lives do not belong to us. They do not belong to the government. My children do not belong to me. The church does not belong to me. We belong to Jesus Christ. And we must never forget we are stewards of all this given, he has given to us. And that has to enter our minds because we are so used to thinking that we possess, we own, we're like those silly little birds in that Pixar cartoon standing on a line when a little fish flops up on the deck going, mine, 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 mine. Nothing is ours. It all belongs to God, created for God, to the glory of God, and that is how we are called to live our lives. Can we give him a hand of praise this morning? It's how we're called to live. So you say, Pastor Clanton, how do we do that? Well, first of all, stay full of the Holy Spirit. Stay full of the Holy Spirit. Go to him daily who will replenish and refill and fill your cup again. Go to your Father daily in prayer, praying in the name of Jesus and saying, Lord, yesterday was a good day. Yesterday was a great day. But I need you to fill me again. You say, Pastor, why do I need him to fill me again? Because if you're like me, you got a hole in your bucket somewhere. We leak, don't we? We leak or it evaporates or we use it up. We need more and more of God's grace and glory. And the second thing I'd say is wake up every morning and go to bed every night living expecting to see Jesus return that very day. Live expecting to see Jesus come again. When I wake up in the morning, I often think to myself, Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. Not because I want to escape this world. I'm privileged to live. I'm privileged to serve. I enjoy the life that God has given me. And when I go to bed at night, I pray and I remind myself as I read a few verses of Scripture 
Lord Jesus, you may come tonight while I'm sleeping. I want my family. I want every member of our congregation. I want us to be ready for the return of the Lord. You see, when you love the Lord in spirit and truth, it's healthy and it's hopeful. You long for, you look for the return of Jesus Christ. In Isaiah chapter 46 and verse 10, the prophet says, it's speaking for the Lord, says, only I can tell you the future before it even happens and everything I plan will come to pass for I do whatever I wish. There is a day and there is an appointed time and hour when Jesus will return and it will happen on his timetable, not ours. In Galatians 4.4, 4, the book I preached from last week, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God always does things his time, his way. And how many of you know his time is the right time? His time is always, it's not always my time. I mean, there are things that I wanted him to do much sooner than he's done it. And if he'd have listened to me, it would not have worked. <laughs> you know why? Because nobody's got a right to play God. Nobody's got a right to play God. Every once in a while I meet immature and foolish people who somehow or another they think because they've read the words of Jesus where Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, it shall be done for you. And, and then they come in and go, well, if you will just do this. I, I, I remember as a young Christian because I had so many health problems, there were people wanting to cast demons. They were, even though I loved Jesus with all my heart, they wanted to cast demons out of me because I wouldn't be sick according to some verse they read. Friends, that's not maturity. That's not even zealousness. That is immature foolishness. And do you remember those days when you were immature and foolish and you only knew part of the story? It's why they call students in college sophomores and kids in high school sophomores because they know just enough to make them dangerous but not enough to make them mature. Sophomore means worldly in a worldly sense. Back in the day when we believed in that kind of biblical language in our culture, we recognized that someone that had graduated hopefully not only had a degree, but they had an element of maturity because they understood the big picture. The coming of Christ tells me four things real quickly. Number one, God has a plan for my life. God knew me. God loved me. God knew you. God loved you before you were ever conceived, before you were ever born. Number two, God has a plan for answering my prayers. God knew the prayers I was going to pray before I ever prayed them. He has an answer for those prayers. As a matter of fact, the prophet said also, he says, before you call, I will hear. And before you call, I will answer. We used to sing a song when I was a child that called, was called The Answers on the Way, my friend. The Answers on the Way. It was built off of that prophetic promise from God's word that before we called he already knew the answer God has an answer for every problem that human beings face today can you say amen to that number three God will always intervene at the right time not my time not your time not America's time but God's time I love 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It puts steel in my nerve. It puts muscle on my bones. It puts courage in my spirit. It puts something in me that knows I can't swing across hell on a rotten corn stalk. I know that I know that God is in control. All I need to remember is that God will never let me down. God will never let me be pushed past my limit. God will always be there to help you and I come through it. Let's give him one more hand of praise this morning. Hallelujah. 
walk into Rocky's room last night was to know that God was in control and to go in and to lay hands and pray upon him not because it was quote a spiritual thing to do or not because it was a nice thing to do or not because it was the right thing to do it was because we know that God will never let us down and we fully expect to God to answer the prayers we pray in his time and in his way amen and then the final thing is, I will rejoice and I will be exceedingly glad when my Lord comes. I'm ready to give that accounting. I'm ready to say, Lord, here too have I served you. Lord, here too, this is what you gave me. This is what I've been able to do so far. And God, I have done it not by my power, but I've done it because you have answered prayer and you have been faithful. I lay it down at your feet, not because of any good I have done, but because it's to you and to you alone the glory belongs. Never take pride in your accomplishments. Realize it was God who gave you the strength. It was God who gave you the power. It was God who gave you the resources. It was God who gave you the idea. It's God who blesses our efforts. For if God doesn't build a house, we all labor in vain. Yeah. And that's the way we live with a hopeful, healthy anticipation of the return of the Lord. Let's read Acts 2, 1, 2 again. If you'll read that out loud with me. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. And suddenly... There was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Read that again. It filled the house. Again, it filled the house where they were sitting. Lord, I want you to fill my home. That's my prayer. Fill my home, Lord. That's your next fill in there if you'll put that up for me. Fill my home. You see what happened on the day of Pentecost? Don't miss this. On the day of Pentecost, what happened was miraculous. It was, it was stunning. It was, it was how the church was begun. And I have never been, I've been your pastor for almost 18 years now. I have never been a one-string preacher. But I want you to hear me. On the day the church begun, the Holy Spirit not only filled the house, he filled the people. Are you hearing me? And when he filled the people, the only continuing abiding sign that remained, it wasn't the wind, it wasn't the tongues of fire, but it was the ability to pray in the Spirit and to seek God in the Spirit about things that we don't know about, things that we don't understand, but God makes intercession through us. He does that, and I want God to fill my house, fill my children, fill my grandchildren, fill our church, and fill our community. And I know there are people who disagree and say, well, we don't believe that, that praying in the Spirit remains anymore because the Bible says that when the perfect comes, which is the Word of God, and love comes, then tongues will cease. But you silly man, and I say that with all respect, doesn't it also say in that same passage, knowledge will cease? And I don't think knowledge has ceased, has it? I think that I don't want to be denied of any gift and I don't have any truck or any argument with people who don't want to pray in the Spirit. But please don't say that the way God began the church and we continue to see that happen in the church, please don't say that passed away because I don't think God did something go, oh my goodness, that was just so silly of me. Why should I have had those people praying in tongues? Yeah, I'll never do that again. <laughs> That's not the way God works, is it? You see it happening again and again, and 
Somebody said to me recently, he says, yeah, but it kind of almost disappeared. I said, yeah, it kind of almost disappeared, but so did the preaching of justification by faith. So did the preaching of salvation by faith. So there's a lot of things that disappear when we allow the thief to break through and to steal what doesn't belong to him. Are you following me this morning? So it's important we keep, we don't want to be a one-string guitar player, but we do want to preach the whole Word of God. Amen? That didn't cost you anything. Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come, read it with me, and make our home with each of them. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, Jesus comes and makes, and I'm not talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, whether or not you're praying in the Spirit, forget about that. That was just an aside, but I just want you to know that hasn't ceased because there are plenty of people who haven't prayed in the Spirit. They're full of the Spirit. That's, I'm not talking about praying in the Spirit this morning, but what I want you to see is when you ask the Lord to fill your home, you're asking Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And this isn't some new age voice telling you that the divine will come and live with you. This is from the lips of Jesus that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will fill your home. And I want him to fill the place where I live. I want him to fill my home. I believe that means my house. Remember, the the Holy Spirit filled the house and it filled the people. And you may live in an apartment or you may live in a house. You may be renting or you may be buying. You may own your house or you may sleep in a sleeping bag in a college dorm room somewhere. You may be in a nursing home or a rest home. You may live on Grosseal or you may live somewhere else. But wherever you live, I want you to understand Jesus Christ can fill your home, fill the very physical place where you live. That was what the temple represented. The temple represented the physical presence of God. And today we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I ask Jesus to fill my home from the attic all the way to the basements. Just recently my son called me and said, Dad, I want you to come and dedicate my home. He's been with me. I've dedicated a number of your homes in this congregation. We go and pray over your living room, your kitchen, your family room. We anoint your home with oil. We, there's nothing magical in that, but we pray verses of Scripture about what God says is to take place in those things. We pray a hedge of protection. And my son said, Dad, I want you to come and I want you to dedicate my home to the Lord. And I want people, when they walk into my home, I want them to sense the presence of Jesus Christ. I want them to sense and feel the, the presence of the Lord and I said son I'll be happy to and as he's getting everything remodeled in there we're looking forward to doing that for, for Christopher but hear me this morning pray that God will fill the very house that you live in number two I want God to fill my family and to fill my relationships I, when I read about the thief breaking in I think about the family and the relationships there's a place that I live and then there's another level called my, my family and my relationships Marriage has become so cheapened in America today. I listened to a gay rights leader say the reason that we've been able to get marriage approved for homosexuals or make marriage legal for homosexuals, he says, the reason we've been able to do that for the LGBTQT community is because marriage has become so cheap in America. And friends, we've got to come back to recognizing the sacredness of marriage. 
God uses the symbolism of a married man and a married woman as the symbol of Christ in his church. Tim, Jessica, it's so good to see you here this morning. But when people look at you, they see a picture of the love of Jesus Christ for his church. Tim, the way you love Jessica, the way you care for Jessica, the way you care for your family, you're preaching to people, you're being light and darkness. This is how Jesus cares for the church. And when I did your wedding, I promised you that if you ever heard her, I would pray God would spank your tail so good you couldn't sit down for weeks. Do you remember that? Don't you ever forget that because he answers my prayers, but <laughs> Amen? You see, I want him to fill my family. I want him to fill my relationships. The powers of hell have worked ceaselessly to cheapen and to ruin relationships between men and women and between parents and children. And this is not an indictment against anybody, anyone that has gone through the, the agony of a divorce. This is not an indictment of that at all. But what I'm trying to say is Jesus' definition of the force that comes to try to break through and to steal is a thief. And the thief, make no mistake about it, is Satan. Just as there is a real God, there is a real devil He's defeated, he is crushed, but he is working like a thief, like a burglar to break in and to steal. And the third level that I want him to fill is my vocation. I want for you, whether you go to a factory or to a classroom, whether you're a small business owner, whether you're a manager or whether you work on a line, whether you're a student, whatever you are, that's your vocation. And when I pray for you during the week, sometimes I pray and I see you like carrying a lantern into the darkness because Jesus said of you, Devin, he said that you are a light set upon a hillside. He said of you, Kim, that you are a light that shines in darkness. And in my mind, you think, Pastor, you've got one screwed up mind. Friends, I want you to know I've got a mind sometimes that gets a hold of God. And I say, God, let me see a picture. And I see you as the living light, Jesus Christ living in your life. And you're walking among the people that are the living dead. The Bible says they are dead in trespasses and sin. And you come living in the light. You come with the life of Jesus Christ in you. And they see the light and they see the hope of what God can do in their lives. The church, the church is the hope of the world as Jesus Christ lives and manifests himself through it. Jesus never said to the lost people, go to the hill where the church is sitting on the hill. Go to the light. He says to the light, he says to the church, go into all the world, the high and the byways. Holy Spirit, fill our vocations, whether we're employed or whether we're students or whether we're retired. Somebody give the Lord a hand of praise again this morning. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's what God has called us to do. I've never watched any of these silly dead people movies. What do they call them? Zombies. Have you watched that? I think the closest I came was, I'm a big Will Smith fan. And there was this movie where a virus had destroyed the world, and my kids hate to watch a movie with me. Because all they know says, you know, that reminds me of what Jesus said. I said, shut up, Dad, and watch the movie. I go, that reminds me, shut up, Dad. And boy, I don't know if you remember, but I used it as an illustration. It was, if I say so myself, it was powerful. That virus was sin that was destroying the world. Those zombies living in darkness, you know. And then that one person that was fully alive and virus-free, they came and they broke through the gate and they broke through the windows. 
Friends, we have to understand we're living not in a mentally ill world. We're living in a world that is full of evil and people are being killed and destroyed and life is being cheapened every day, which means you have got to ask God to fill the area of your home of your influence. There are people that are going to follow you. There are going to be people that want to be just like you. As I have talked to our congregation and asked each of you, tell me about your area of influence. I've been surprised how many of you have told me, so pastor, I don't have that much influence. And I try to help you see, no, I know no one at Woodland Church that is uninfluential. There was a study done of one person who lived by himself, separated himself from the world in the study, and I can't document the study. I've just heard it over and over, but that one person came in contact with 50 people a year, even though he isolated himself. Once when I was in Africa, I went to visit the people, the monastics, who live by themselves in caves and in the mountains, and they're, they're, they're just living skeletons, and they think somehow or another this makes them more holy, and I went and visited with them with an interpreter and I went to several caves and sat down and all oh, they smelled and they were so poor and but somehow or another in living in this kind of asceticism they thought that it made them closer to God and some of them was obviously that the poor the poverty of their diet and the, the, the things that they were doing to themselves when they lived in a place of such abundance what it had done to them and yet People still came out to the desert out of curiosity to see these people, and they would talk to you. Some were would back up into their little caves in the mountains. But what I'm trying to say to you is, you underestimate your influence. If you're working on the line, you underestimate your influence of the people not only who know you, but who talk about you. I met someone the other day, and they says, Oh, I'm so glad to meet you. I've heard about you from this one or that one. There are people that talk about you. And then there's always those people that you meet and you say, oh, I've heard about you. And you've ever heard somebody say this? Well, I hope it was good. You know, we always hope it's good. But if, boy, if people are honest about me, there's good and there's bad. If people are honest about me, there's flaws. If people are honest about me, there's mistakes. If people are honest about me, there's fear. If people are honest about me, there's anger. If people are honest about me, there are times when I have done things I shouldn't have done. And you say, well, doesn't that disqualify you? No, it doesn't disqualify you either. Look at this next verse with me. He was faithful to him who appointed him as Moses was also in all of his house. Did Moses ever get angry? Yes. Did Moses ever get fearful? Yes. Did Moses arrive at the ultimate goal that God had planned for his life? No. And he did not get to go into the promised land because he lost his temper and he smote the rock and everybody else thought it was a success, but God said it was a failure. And I am convinced that most of us, men, myself included, we will never reach the ultimate potential that God has for us because of the flaws that we struggle with. But we will become much more than what we ever thought we could be if we ask the Lord to fill our houses and we live with a healthy and a hopeful expectation. One day Jesus is coming and I'm going to give an accounting to him. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I will do accomplish much more living in the Spirit, fully anticipating the coming of the Lord. You say, but Pastor, you just said that you're flawed. Oh, yeah. It's why I will say, Lord, the only reason I'm here is because of what Jesus Christ did at Calvary. 
It's amazing grace, isn't it? Let's sing it together. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. That's why you'll be in heaven. That's why I'll be in heaven, and that's why I can achieve a greater potential than I ever could by myself. Well, friends, that excites me, but I've got to wrap it up. Finally, guard against the thief. Guard against the thief. I think this is what Jesus was telling the parables about the bridesmaids or the virgins, as the King James Version says. Not paying attention. You see, if you pay attention, then you've got to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. It's sensitive, I'm not talking about being thin-skinned, but it's living aware that the Holy Spirit is with you. But it's also living aware that Jesus Christ is coming. But it's also living aware that in the meantime, that the thief is trying to break in, to undermine, to steal, to kill, to destroy. The thief's purpose, according to John 10.10, read it with me, is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them, read it again, a rich and a satisfying life. You see, I don't know when he's going to come, but I know he's going to come. Becky and I used to live in an apartment. Our first place that we had was an apartment, and the owners of the apartments could come inspect them at any time. So you always had to be ready. And there were certain things on the checklist that always had to be ready, from paint to floors to what have you. Because the owners could come at any time, and they had a key. We signed a lease. They could come into our home at any time. And we signed a lease, and they would come in and inspect our home, and they would leave us a little deal. We never got a bad report. Becky's a great homemaker. But that reminds me of what it's going to be like when Jesus comes again. He'll come at any time. And so I need to live prepared. I think sometimes we allow conspiracies to distract us. As a pastor, you would be amazed at the amount of mail, the DVDs, the videos, the booklets, the books, the invitations that I get. And sometimes when I take a look, most of those Norma just destroys for me because she knows what I'm interested in and what I'm not. But most of those that she slides over my desk, they always come with an appeal for money. I got to elect the right politician. And if I elect the right politician, this is going to happen. I've lived long enough to know that's not the answer. Amen? We want that to happen, but that's not the answer. Sometimes it's the wrong philosophy, and we've got to support this cause, and they can go in, and they're going to change the Board of Education's mind, or they're going to do something. I've lived long enough. That's not the answer. I still get those that communism is trying somehow or another to undermine our American way, and if I will support this cause, I will be fighting communism. And sometimes I find that we get distracted by all these conspiracies. Now, don't get me wrong. There's validity in what they're saying. There's validity in the communism conspiracy. There's validity in the, in the political uh, conspiracies. There's validity in the intellectual conspiracies. 
But that is not the problem. That is the symptom. Say the word symptom with me. Symptom, the theories are the symptoms. The real dynamic is not to be found, now please listen carefully because I don't want to be misquoted. The real dynamic is not to be found in politics, education, art, philosophy, or science. The real dynamic for the church is in the realm of the spiritual because when we come together and we pray in the name of Jesus and we seek God's face together, God has promised to hear from heaven, to heal our nation, to heal our land, and to revive his church. But it seems that the church is too busy to pray. It seems like our prayer meetings are not well attended, but it seems like our banquets are well attended. It seems like we rush to help political candidates, but we we fail to do the one thing that God has called us to do. When the church is too busy to pray, the church lowers its walls, and the devil is glad for us to listen to the conspiracy. But we need the word of the Lord, and we need to grab hold of the altars of God, and we need to pray, Lord, come, heal our land. Come, revive your church. Come, Lord, and fill our house. Fill it with the glory of God and the power of your Holy Spirit. When that happens, the gates of hell cannot, will not, shall not, has never been able to, and will never be able to, to stand against the power of a spirit-filled praying church or family in Jesus' name. Never, 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 never. A spirit-filled house has social implications. It may produce someone sitting in Congress that rules and legislates justly. It may produce someone teaching in a college that teaches justly. It will result in the church feeding the hungry, clothing the naked. It will result in us loving our enemies. It will result in us not trying to trash people to get our cause accomplished. But it will not be because we bought into conspiracies. We have bought into the good news of Jesus Christ, who while we were yet sinners loved us and died for us and has taught us to love those who curse us and despise us and use us wrongly. That's what happens when the church prays. But it doesn't happen when we don't pray. So overcome, overcome, Mark, come on up please, by remaining full of the Holy Spirit. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world and against political power, excuse me, mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in heavenly places. You're never, you're never, you are never going to politicize yourself around the devil. You are never going to capitalize yourself around the devil. You're never going to intellectualize yourself around the devil. But as my old evangelism professor used to say, that when the weakest among us drops to his knees and begins to pray in the name of Jesus, hell begins to tremble. Hell begins to tremble. And on this last Sunday of the Christian year, I want you ready. We're about to celebrate his first coming. We're going to sing the carols. But as we work our way through the Christmas story each Sunday, we're going to hear about how Christ is coming again. If I've come across as an angry pastor on a tirade, I apologize. I'm not angry. 
not at you, but I am angry at how the church in general has stopped praying, has stopped trusting, started excusing sin, and not realizing that this is how the devil tunnels through and destroys the very foundations we live upon. Marriage in our society has become so disposable. Young people today live together because their parents couldn't honor marriage and so they think, my professors must be right. Sex is nothing more than a physical drive. You satisfy it by eating, by having sex. It's just another drive. It's become nothing more than blowing your nose. And then when you're done blowing your nose, you toss away the tissue because it was between two consenting adults, not realizing the beauty, the romance, the glory, and the power of sex, and what it means when a man and woman become one. Becky sent me to the grocery store for a few things that she had forgotten for thanks, our Thanksgiving meal. I asked one of the managers, where the Eagle Brand evaporated milk was. He said, let me walk you over there. While we're walking, he says, I bet you're glad you're here and not at home, right? I said, oh, no, sir. I am married to a godly, wonderful, beautiful, sexy woman. I've got great children I can't wait to be with. My house is full of the glory of God. He looked at me like I'd lost my ever-loving mind. <laughs> but if anybody else ever asks him about where the evaporated milk is, he'll remember me. <laughs> but I was thinking driving home, there's a reason he said that. Because there's a lot of people. <laughs> there's a lot of people, probably, men would probably rather be at the grocery store. I watched that same day Grown adults, grown adults, not young adults, grown big adults, arguing with a three or four-year-old. I went, duh. When did a three or four-year-old get to tell grown people what to do? <coughs> Mommy and Daddy's so afraid they're going to hurt their little feelings. Hurt their little feelings and make a man or woman out of them. Learn to tell them no. And learn to tell them in public they got to behave. And make sure when they go in that grocery store they know they're going to behave or they're going to be consequences. I'm angry because people have lost their confidence. Because intellectuals and people who haven't even raised kids and people who haven't been married 40 years are sitting in their ivory towers telling you why everything I'm telling you is wrong. And you are the little people and you should listen to what they say. It's time to stop underestimating yourself. You are not the little people. You are the people of God. 
You are the born-again, spirit-filled, blood-washed people of God, and there's more power resident in you than you've ever thought before. And if you wake up and recognize who Christ is and who the church is, hell is going to begin to tremble, and those people in those towers are going to begin to flee because when God sends a revival, those philosophies will fall to the ground, and the preaching of the cross will rise to the top again in our culture and in our society. And if you believe that, praise the Lord with me this morning. Come on, praise His name. Praise His name. Hallelujah. I can't keep you full of the Holy Spirit. Your small group leader can't keep you full of the Holy Spirit. I can't even keep Becky full of the Holy Spirit. Boy, that's a bad time for that phone, isn't it? <laughs> you can't keep somebody else full of the Holy Spirit. You got to go to the Father and say, Jesus, fill me again. Fill me again. You will not succeed by your own strength or by your own power, but by my Spirit. Five of those virgins they drew from Christ. Five of those virgins kept their cups full. And when Jesus comes again, he will come for a church full of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Bow your heads with me. I've covered a lot of ground this morning. I haven't said a whole lot about salvation. But I hope I've made it clear to you that the only reason that myself or anyone in this room is saved it's because we put our trust in Jesus Christ we've admitted that we needed what Christ did for us he died for our sins it doesn't make us better matter of fact it helps us to recognize what wretches we really were and I know that there are probably people that have told you you're not a wretch I know that maybe people have mocked the church. When I say I'm a sinner or you're a sinner, that's not a judgment. That's just who we are. It's why there is a Christmas. It's why there is an Easter. Macy's didn't give you Christmas. The world didn't give you Easter. Christ came as a little baby so you would know what God is like so you could read about Jesus and see how he loved and he cared broken for broken people Easter he died for our sins and if somehow or another the Holy Spirit is making that real to you then he was also making this real that on the third day he raised Christ again from the dead and he ascended into heaven and one day he will return again and if he's making that real to you then he's making it real to you that I need to commit my life to Christ and matter of fact it's probably something you going I want to do this So can we do a me too in this congregation this morning? 
If you're ready to commit your life to Jesus, I'm not going to ask you to stand or call you out, but would you just lift your hand while nobody's looking around and say, Pastor, me too. I want to commit my life to Christ. God bless you. Others say, Pastor, God bless you. Thank you. Somebody else say, Pastor, I want to commit my life to Jesus Christ this morning. Would you pray for me? Would you pray with me? Well, Lord Jesus, I ask you right now, as we agree with this individual in prayer, let's all pray it out loud together. Let's pray with her. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I confess to you all my sins. I believe that you died for me and that you rose again on the third day and that your death and resurrection was enough to pay for my sins. Now as much as I know how, I commit my life to you. I want to be born again. In Jesus' name. Let's welcome this person into the body of Christ. They're not a member of this church, but just into the body of Christ. Now, Lord, we agree together this week to pray that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit, and we agree together this week to pray for our sister. We can call her that because she gives her life to you. And we ask you now as we prepare to bring our tithes and our offerings to you, would you make us thoughtful this week? And would you fill every area of our home and of our life? God, would you fill each and every house here, or apartment, or room? Would you fill room 182 so that everybody that walks into Rocky's room will sense the presence of Jesus? Lord, would you fill my family and all my relationships and how I treat children, men and women will be, Lord, as I want to be treated. Lord, would you fill my vocation? God, make me a light in the darkness. And then finally, Lord, would you fill my influence? The people that you've given me the opportunity to speak into and shape their lives. And if you agree with that, say amen this morning. Amen. amen. God bless you. Ushers, if you would come, we're going to wait upon you for your tithes and your offerings. And Becky's going to come and dismiss you in prayer after uh, the offering has been taken this morning. Uh, while you're praying this week, please remember to pray for Rocky. God will bring a complete healing. And pray for Kristen Morris as well. Needs a miracle in her life. She'll be having surgery this week. For those of you that have been around for a while, this is Pastor Andrew and Kristen, Rick's daughter and son-in-law. All right? God bless you as you give this morning.